Hallelujah, the Lord is risen. Oh, good job. That's my husband. That's cheating. I heard some amens. And then my husband knew the response. This was a test, actually. This was a test to see how many of you would respond, because if you responded a certain way, it gives away your background. Uh, And the response to to that phrase means you probably grew up in a liturgical church. If you said, when I said, Alleluia, he is risen, you would say, the Lord is risen indeed, Alleluia. Because we are in, right now, we are in the Easter season in the liturgical church. Easter is not just one day, it is a season, a whole season. We're in that, it lasts all the way until Pentecost, which happens in the summer. And during the Easter season in the liturgical church, as I said, the priest opens the Eucharist, which is the service, with that phrase, Alleluia, he is risen. And then the congregation responds, the Lord is risen indeed, Alleluia. So we're going to practice that, even though we're not liturgical, let's just do it, okay? Pretend I'm a priest, probably. Well, it's a far fetch, but we'll try it, okay. Alleluia, he is risen. Alleluia. Excellent. Well done. Good job. Okay. Uh, I'm Stacey Larson. I am the executive pastor here. We are in a series right now on the five solas, which is based on church history. And I thought, what better way to get us primed for this than just a little liturgy, just a little warm up, get the blood pumping. Uh, Once again, Drew, who this service is actually over volunteering and kids, Drew gave me a topic that I could preach on for six months, but I only have one week because he likes to give those to me. Uh, I'm not really complaining because I do love those kinds of topics. Um, And as usual, we are going to dive right in because we have lots of scripture. We've got handouts. We've got all kinds of things. Are you ready? Yes. Are you ready? Was the warm-up not sufficient? Okay. Let's pray. God, you are the author and the redeemer of our faith. Give us eyes and ears to hear, um, just to hear your word today. Open our hearts. Allow us to be present by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Soteriology. Everybody say soteriology. Soteriology. Soteriology is the study of the doctrines of salvation. It's how we're saved. And it's not just the study of Christian doctrines. It's any religious doctrine. So, for example, the soteriology of Hinduism involves a concept of breaking free from suffering and the cycle of death in reverse. There's karma, there's reincarnation, and eventually you reach enlightenment. The soteriology of Islam uh, embraces the idea that humans are sinful, God is fair. If you repent enough and avoid sins and you repeatedly ask for forgiveness, you reach paradise. These are rough. I'm not an expert in these other religions because obviously I'm not a part of them. So this is just in brief reading. Um, But Drew shared last week in the history of Christianity, there are varying doctrines on how we are saved. Um, And these doctrines have caused the church to split over history. The first split called the Great Schism was between the Western Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church. And then later on, uh, there was a larger split between the Catholics and the Protestants. This uh, came about when Martin Martin Luther wrote his 95 Theses, which sort of sparked the Reformation. 
And he was arguing against the soteriological, soteriological view of the Catholic Church, particularly the concepts of indulgences and works and the power of the church and the pope, all of which he felt were not supported by scripture. So from these views and others during the Reformation, we get the solas, which are grace, faith, scripture, Christ, and the glory of God alone. Although these five, as they stand right now, they weren't actually put together as the five solas until about the 19th century. Last week, we looked at grace alone and indulgences. Uh, Drew talked about that. He talked about how we're saved by grace. Uh, He shared from Ephesians saying grace, grace is lavished on us in abundance and it is a gift of God. Uh, In Ephesians 2, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. So grace alone, gift of God, we're not paying for it, we're not buying the stairway to heaven, because I love to throw Led Zeppelin in a sermon anytime I can. I like to just slide it in there. There will be more rock and roll illustrations in the message moving forward, just so you know. Um, this week we are going to talk about faith alone, sole, sola fide, specifically the paradox between faith and works. Does that sound good? Okay. By the way, our reading plan this week was so spot on for this message because, uh, Shannon created it to be that way. It's just amazing. I really encourage you to get on the reading plan. It's almost like sermon prep for, for the, um, for the message on Sunday. So, uh, Just want to encourage you to dive into that. Okay, so to start, let's start with what is faith. And for that, why don't you turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. I'll give you a second to get there. Hebrews 11, verse 1 says this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. Actually, all of Hebrews 11, 11, I encourage you to read the whole chapter. Uh, Talking about faith, he goes on to say, by faith, Abraham is saved, and by faith, uh, Moses, and by faith, Jacob, and it's just a fantastic chapter on faith. So please read that whole thing. Uh, But faith in the Greek is pistis, And in essence, that means belief. Faith is belief. It's belief something will come to be, even though we can't see it now. And it's not just belief about something or someone, but it's belief for something, that assurance for things hoped for. Um, I shared this example at an Eden talk last year, but I think it's worth revisiting, just kind of a good way to think about faith. So we have faith when we set our alarm on our phone uh, to wake up in the morning, we have faith that it's gonna go off in the morning, do we not? Yeah. We have faith when we get in our car to go to work that we will in fact end up at work. We have faith, same thing if we get on an airplane, that we're going to end up at our destination. Unless you have a little fear of flying like I do and then you work through that on the process. But there's faith that you're gonna end up there at the end. We have faith that someday, somehow, summer will arrive on Whidbey Island, right? (laughs) We have great, great faith there. We can't see these things in reality. This is the conviction of things not seen, but in our mind's eye, we can believe. 
In Matthew 17, which was part of our reading plan this week, Jesus tells, that, tells us with, that with the faith of a mustard seed, we can move mountains. So I would say we have plenty of faith. The question is, what do we have faith in, or faith in what? Uh, Mike Pilavachi wrote a book called Everyday Supernatural. Uh, it's a great book. I highly recommend it. And it's about supernatural things, gifts of the spirit, but he talks about faith in the context of faith and healing. Um, but I think it's a good explanation here as well when we talk about faith in what. And this is what he says. He says, we spend all of our time and energy focused on our own faith level. Oh, when we spend all of our time and energy focused on our own faith level, we've totally missed it. We've put our faith in faith. Our eyes should be on Jesus instead. Faith is really about two things, trusting God's character and stepping out because of this trust. Trusting God's character and stepping out because of this trust. Belief in someone for something. Or put another way, faith is not only believe in God, but belief and trust that his plan is the best for your, li for your life. Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. Also part of the reading plan this week, by the way. So that's kind of faith, what faith is, what's it about, but why faith alone? Why the solas for faith? So if we look again at our soteriology, our doctrine of salvation, Paul makes a strong case for this concept in Romans, in Ephesians, and in Galatians. He makes a point to say that we are saved by faith and not by works. And so why faith and not works? We see in Scripture that faith is tied to salvation. That Greek word for salvation is sozo. We've talked about that from the pulpit here before. Uh, it's also tied to healing, also sozo, same word. And it's tied to righteousness. That word is dikaio, is righteousness. So it's tied to uh, salvation, healing, and righteousness. And it's the last one that we're going to zero in on here, this idea of righteousness, dikaio. Faith and righteousness are connected, and to explore this, we need to look at a theological concept called justification. Justification. So turn to Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. We're going to hang out in Galatians for a little bit, so once you get there, you can stay there for a while. Okay. Galatians 2, 16 says... Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So to justify means to declare righteous. It's a legal definition or a declaration. It's a legal term. It means not guilty. It is the opposite of being guilty or condemned. It does not mean that you are a good or a bad person. And let me just remind you that in Genesis 2, when God created man on the sixth day and finished creation, he said it's all very good. So that's settled. It's not about good and bad. Paradoxically, in Genesis 6, he said every intention of the thoughts of man's hearts was only evil continually. So we have that to wrestle with. Um, and we tend to choose sin. 
And when we choose sin of our own free will, we take on the consequences of sin, which is death. So because of our sin, we are guilty. So this is about guilty versus not guilty. It's a judgment from God. He's the ju- he is the judge. And because of our sin before, we were guilty. But now, oh, this happened last time too. Uh, Brian? Siri just keeps talking to me. All right, uh, but now, maybe she needs to be justified. Okay, but now, <laughs> through faith in Christ and his death on the cross, we are justified. We are declared not guilty. This is transactional. It is one and done for all time. Christ died for our sins. Through our faith in him, we are declared not guilty, and we die in our sins with him. We're going to continue in Galatians 2. We're going to go to verse 20. It says this. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Okay, so justification is taken from sin to righteousness. We're made right before God and by God. One time, Christ's death on the cross forgives our sins. All of our sins, our past sins, our present sins, our future sins are forgiven. Through his death on the cross, Isaiah says, by his stripes we were healed. It is finished. That's this justification. One and done for all time. But... The Galatians and Martin Luther, Martin Luther would argue the Catholic Church were trying to kind of make it a little more complicated and works were starting to creep into this concept. So Paul jumps on that pretty quickly. He continues in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness." So your works aren't saving you. you aren't, they're not making you righteous. You are not declared not guilty because of anything you did or didn't do. You are declared not guilty because of what Christ did and your belief in who he is and what he did. Okay? Amen. Yes, absolutely. So this seems really clear cut. So why would the church split over this issue? Okay, so justification, dikaio, made righteous, is only one step in the salvation process. Salvation, sozo, saved, delivered, healed, rescued, is ongoing through our whole lives. So we're justified once and for all, but with salvation, we were saved, we are being saved, we will be saved. It's a process, okay? So we have justification, one-time deal, salvation, Lifelong process. Now I'm going to give you one more. Sanctification. Sanctification 
is the idea that we're being made holy or perfect, and some traditions actually believe that you can reach a point where you no longer sin. That's called the holiness tradition, comes out of this idea. It's part of the process of sainthood in the Catholic Church. Sanctification is being made holy. And they would also argue that, argue that works are a part of that as well. And just so we're not throwing the Catholics under the bus, I want to give you a reason why for that. So let's go ahead and turn to the book of James. This is James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active all along with his works and and. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. Now listen to this next part. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Just when you thought you had your head wrapped around the process, right? You just throw a little zinger in there. This is a really good example of the mystery of God and the challenges of scripture. This is why churches split. And I just want to take a little side note and encourage you to read scripture and wrestle with it for yourselves. We can stand up here and we can preach and teach uh, our thoughts and our ideas, but scripture is alive and well and speaking to each and every one of you. And, uh, and it's hard, and there's some things that are confusing, and you need to work out your, fear, your salvation with fear and trembling. Read scripture for that. That's my little push. Martin Luther, he wrestled with this passage. He tried to reconcile Paul's letter with James's view, and he couldn't. He eventually just called James's letter the epistle of straw and determined that Paul's view held more weight. That's one, way to, that's one way to solve the problem. I will say that both views agree that works is the fruit of faith. Uh, James is saying in one sense that works prove your faith. Um, and I'm going to give you a, an illustration in case you forgot that I was going to talk about rock and roll. Here's my second one. Just helping to kind of very loosely, this is loose, very loosely convey this concept. Okay. If somebody says... Oh, the Beatles are my favorite band. You know, I love the song, Hey Jude. And I might say, oh, yeah, what album is it on? And they're like, oh, you know, I don't know, that one. I'd be like, okay, maybe they're your favorite band. Like, you're saying they're your favorite band, but really? Whereas I, if I came up and I said, somewhere in the black mining hills of Dakota, there lived a young boy named Rocky Raccoon. Anybody? Anybody? Oh, come on, guys. Okay. Or if I talked about how, how Bungalow Bill rolls into this one-note intro with this descending bass line, 
George Harrison's masterpiece, While My Guitar Gently Weeps. Come on, come on, it's so good. All of these songs, by the way, are on the White Album, in case you're wondering. You get my point? It's very, it's very, I'm stretching it here, but it's a loose point. There's, there's something behind this faith, right? There's a proof that's coming from that. Hopefully you can see my love for the Beatles, so that when I say they're my favorite band, it's evident by my passage and my knowledge of their music, right? All right. Okay, the Beatles, my friends, are going to take us all the way to the end. Well, the Beatles and Paul, Paul the Apostle, not Paul McCartney, not Paul McCartney, who is the best Beatle, by the way, just want to say. Okay, let's look at Romans chapter 10, verse 9. All right, this says, this is, this is the... This is the good part. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. So how are we justified? We believe in our heart. It's the heart that holds our faith. And works is one way to sort of reveal what's on the inside and what's in your heart. So faith without works is dead. Yes, yes, but we have to be really careful not to someone's status as guilty or not guilty before God because we can't see their hearts. Um, this is similar to the argument that tongues is proof of Holy Spirit baptism. We don't see what's happening on the inside. So we, we have to be careful. We want to see. We want proof. We want to be the judge. We want to say, oh, this is how we can tell. And we are not the judge. God is. Your justification through faith is very personal. And no church or pastor or pope can declare you righteous. Only God can do that. Only God can declare you not guilty. Amen. Yeah, I like that. Thank you. This is the basis of Paul's argument for faith alone. And also, some during this time, and still today, they place an emphasis on works that's a little bit disordered, works before faith or in lieu of faith. And faith comes before works. It comes first. There's a reason that the five solas are in this certain order, starting with the grace of God, God's grace alone, and then moving to our faith. And we will continue in the future series. So if you've been justified by faith, if you have confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus is Lord, he died for your sins and rose from the grave, how are you living out this faith? This is why serving is a part of our vision statement. It is our faith in action. But we don't serve out of guilt. Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are not guilty. There is no condemnation in Christ because you have been justified. So your works, your faith in action are not done out of guilt because you are not guilty. It is not about what you do. It's about who Jesus is and what he did. Amen. Him in you, that is the fruit of your faith alone. Uh, worship team, you can come on up. Uh, I just have a little epilogue here. We don't often do a sermon series on theological principles. I'm glad that we did this one. This was, this was fun to study, I'm going to say. Uh, we just had a connect lunch last week where you can come and uh, meet the pastors and learn about Foursquare and learn about what we believe. 
Uh, And because we are doing this sermon series, I wanted to point out a couple things about what we believe. These are in the back. It's also up on the screen. This is a simplified guide to Foursquare beliefs. This is our soteriology of Foursquare, what we believe. I encourage you to take one of these uh, and look at this for yourself, but I just want to point out three. The first one is repentance and acceptance. It says, we believe that upon sincere repentance and a wholehearted acceptance of Christ, we are justified before God. The next one, the plan of salvation or the plan of redemption. We believe that while we were sinners, Christ died for us, pardoning all who believe in him. And then this last one, I just want to point out, salvation through grace. This is what we talked about last week. We believe that we receive salvation when we come to God through faith in the atoning work of Jesus on the cross. Salvation is God's gift to us. Okay? Um, In closing, I have one more slide for you. You guys, this is from Wikipedia. And I want you to know that I do not get my whole sermon from Wikipedia. I have to put that out there right now. I just felt like this was such a good uh, statement, I wanted to include it. I glance at Wikipedia occasionally, but I do use scholarly sources. All right, but let me just read this because I think it sums it up really well. Uh, This is the soteriology of Christianity. It says, in Christianity, salvation, also called deliverance or redemption, is is the saving of human beings from sin and its consequences. Variant views on salvation are among the main lines dividing the various Christian denominations, being a point of disagreement between Eastern Orthodoxy, Roman Catholicism, and Protestantism, as well as within Protestantism, notably the Calvinist-Arminian debate, or as I like to say, the Amy Jansen-Stacey Larson debate. In love, in love, we debate in love. These lines include conflicting definitions of depravity, predestination, atonement, and most pointedly, justification. Christian soteriology ranges from exclusive salvation to universal reconciliation concepts. And this is the part that I really want you to embrace. While some of the differences are as widespread as Christianity itself, the overwhelming majority agrees that salvation is made possible by the life, crucifixion, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Amen. Foursquare has a saying that they embrace. It's actually on the front of this little thing here. Uh, It's a great saying. I love it. It actually didn't originate with Foursquare. It originated in the 4th century with St. Augustine, who was a Roman Catholic. And it's this. In essentials, unity, meaning the things that are central to our faith, we have unity. In non-essentials, liberty. Those little rabbit trails that we can go off, we have some grace and liberty for each other. And in all things, charity. In all things, love. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right.